Jesus, I want to thank you for your um, blessing upon Joanne's life and how she has been a blessing to many we know. And I want to pray that right now you anoint her, uh, just uh, grant her peace as she speaks, help her to have uh, courage and faith to deliver your word. I want to pray indeed that, Lord, you will help your people receive your word uh, with the attitude that you want us to receive it, Lord. I want to pray for hearts to be open. You will uh, start uh, cultivating the soil of our hearts to receive your word, Lord. So I pray for my sister that, Lord, she'll speak with conviction and with the enablement of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, hi. Um, if you don't know me, I am, I'm Joanne, and I'm, I'm a teacher. I teach... Uh, in secondary school, and I serve in the youth ministry. So I'm very used to talking to teenagers. Okay, so this is not my comfort zone at all. And, and, and if, like, when I'm talking halfway, I ask you to, you know, stop talking and face the front and pay attention, or, or, or like, I make some, you know, Gangnam-style reference or some, something like that, don't, don't, don't be surprised, okay? So, um, yeah, and, and, you know, I'm the kind of person who gets um, very excited initially at the start of things. So, so when Pastor Chi Ming first asked me to, to, to preach, I was like, yeah, okay. And then, and, then, and then I realized that he said Ezra 2 and 3. And so can you please turn with me now to Ezra 2, okay, and, and just look at, look at the chapter, okay? Okay, so if you look at Ezra 2, so I looked at the chapter, and it's, just, it's like a whole list of names. And I was like, What? this? And, and, and I mean, it's, and it's Ezra, right? Like, whoo, <laughs> you know? Um, so, 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 yeah, so, but, but I'm excited today because I, I think I, I actually learned quite a lot when I was preparing for this message, and, and I believe that God's going to speak to us today, so I hope you are ready, okay? Um, yeah, so I've mentioned before that, that I'm a teacher, and, and this period is like an uh, exam period for, for my sec force, and and so I do a lot of uh, invigilation. And, and one thing I like to do during the invigilation is to look at their class list because I like to look at their names. Okay, so I, I like to um, look out for nice J names like for my future kids, you know. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and also, also sometimes parents give their kids very interesting names. For example, recently I met a student called Curling. Like Curling. Yeah, okay. And, and, and once I had a student called Dodo. Yeah, I'm not even kidding you, okay? So it's a girl. She's, she's called Dodo. And then um, I, I, I heard from my other friend who's a teacher as well, and he told me that he had a student called Bobo. So we were saying that, like, you know, we should introduce Dodo and Bobo, and they could be, like, Bodo. Okay, yeah, okay, thanks for laughing. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but, 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 you know, if you think, if you think I'm, I'm, like, mean, I make fun of people's names, you know, my, my baby's called Gemma, and, and like, I've heard people call her gamma, like gamma rays. <laughs> so, so, so we are even, okay? So um, I, I, I don't know about you, but you know when I read the Bible and, and I see a list like this, like in Ezra 2, I tend to just kind of skip that, you know, because it's, it's, I mean, it's just a list, right? Um, it's just a list with a lot of names. And, and unless you want to look out for funny names or, or like me, you want to look out for baby names. But, but, but I don't think I'm going to call my baby like Jora. Or, or Jala, that this, those are the J names that I found there, so no. And, and it's not even a genealogy like in Matthew 1, you know, Matthew chapter 1, 
there's the genealogy of Jesus. You know, it's not even like that where you can look out for familiar names like, you know, David and, and, and Ruth and, and all that. It's literally just a list, okay? A list of the exiles who return. And that's the title in the, in, in, in the NIV. But, but you know, there's, there's the verse that says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, um, and training in right, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16. And, and, and it says all scripture, right? It says all scripture. So even the, these lists, right, there must be some kind of purpose to it. Okay, so, so, so I was asking God, like, what, what, what's the purpose of writing all these, these names there? And, and last week we heard from Pastor Chiming that 70 years before this, God had allowed Nebuchadnezzar to carry his chosen people from Jerusalem and Judah um, into exile. And now it was a time for the remnant to return. Right? So this is the list of those who return. So if you just look at this, this list there, I mean, it's a long list. Okay, if you just look at the list there, you will notice that actually there are sub-lists. Okay? And the first sub-list, kind of sub-list, okay, is from verse 3 to 20. Okay, it says the, the descendants of Parosh and Sepathia and, and all, all, all these people, okay, descendants. Okay, so, so these are the people, for the first sub-list is the people grouped according to their family, right? Descendants of so-and-so, okay? And then if you look after that, okay, verse 21 to 35, they, these are the people who are grouped according to location, like where they're from, the men of Bethlehem, of Netophah and, and all these places, Okay, so first family, then location. Okay, and then verse 36 to 40 um, are the priests and the Levites. Okay, so they are the people grouped according to like their birth, right? Because they are, they, are, they are born in, in that line. Okay, and then after that, verse 41 to 58 are the people grouped according to their like vocation, their occupation, you know, the gatekeepers, the singers, the servants. Okay, and then if you look at verse 59 you will see that it says the following came out from all these towns, but they could not show that their families were descended from Israel. Okay, so these are the people who are like the random people. They couldn't prove their, their heritage. Okay, so just like random people. Okay, and, and in verse 62, you will see that there are also this group of people. These searched for their family records, but they could not find them. So basically people who lost their like, parents, birth cert or something, okay? They are the people who, who couldn't find, you know, they, they couldn't prove their lineage, okay? So, so really kind of like the, the you know, the, the leftover people and then just the random people, right? And so the question remains, what, what is the point? What is the point of this list? And, and when I was looking at this list, uh, I, I believe that, that, you know, God allowed each person or each group of people to be recorded in the Bible like for eternity and a specific number is provided. It's like 128. You know, not, not just like, oh, 100, uh, roughly 120, like 128 or 1,254, that kind of thing, right? Um, the specific number is provided. And I think God allowed their names to be here in the Bible to honor them and their decision to return, to return to Jerusalem. You know, in chapter 1 last week, we heard that Cyrus's edict said that anyone, anyone who wants to go, let him go. If you look in chapter 1, verse 3, okay, he says, any one of his people among you, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord. So anyone could go, but only these people whose names are recorded here, okay, chose to go. And, and in verse 64, we, we see that um, it was 42,360 people 
besides like about 7,000 more servants. And this is actually not a very big number. Okay, it's not a very big number if you think about the whole population of, of, of um, Israel. In, in the book of Esther, chapter 9, we read that, uh, you, I mean, I, I, some of you would know the story of Ezra, that the Jews living in, who were still living in exile, they were able to defeat like 75,000 of their enemies. So I don't think 42,000 was a big number. So actually many of them chose to stay behind, stay behind in exile. Okay, and, and, and why didn't they go? Why didn't they go to back to their hometown, you know, back to Jerusalem to build the temple? I think, I think they were living in exile, but they were probably comfortable, right? They were settled there, you know, they set up their homes and built their homes, and they're probably comfortable. And the call to rebuild the temple was a call away from comfort. It was a call into hard work. It was a call into probably physical works, rebuilding, right? It was a call into probably the unknown and the unfamiliar. I mean, they, they, they were living in exile for so long, they probably have, have not gone to Jerusalem, right? It was a, probably a call even to frustration and discouragement and disappointment, and we will see that in chapter 4 later, that there was really discouragement, okay? And, you know, all this that comes with pioneering or starting something, anytime you have to build something from nothing, it's hard work. So it was a call to hard work. And so I think that is why God allowed this list to be in the Bible, to show us that, hey, these are the faithful remnant who responded to his call, right? Because Cyrus gave an edict that said, you know, anybody could go, and these are the people who responded. And I think God wants to show that he sees and he values the obedience that each person showed when they left their comfortable lives, their comfortable homes, and they decided, yes, I will make the journey, and I will go and rebuild God's temple. And these are specific numbers, like what I said. They're not rough estimates. So I think that, you know, God is saying that each one, each one is important. It's not 122, it's 123, right? Very specific numbers. And I believe that, um, you know, whether they were like the high-class people, you know, the people who, whose families are recorded, probably they are the people who are more established families, right? So, you know, maybe the more um, high-class people. Or they're just the, the temple servants, descendants of servants, okay? Whether who, whoever you are, God valued their commitment and God valued their response to his call because God called all of them, right? Cyrus said anyone could go. But I believe he valued each one who responded, both from Zerubbabel, that's another cool name. I've heard it called Zerubbabel, okay? So however you like to pronounce it, Zerubbabel, the prince, to the random people, you know, the people who couldn't find their family records. All of them... God valued them, and it's not about what you do or who you are, but whether you respond to God's call. And today I want to ask you three questions, okay? And the first question is, when God calls, are you willing to get up and go? Okay, are you willing to get up and go? Will we respond to God's call the way the remnant did? to build his temple, to build his church, to leave where we are settled and where we are comfortable to respond to his call. And you know, it doesn't matter what category you are in, whether you're like a leader or a successful person or a rich person, million dollars or whatever, or whether you think you're just some random person. You know, yeah, who am I? I'm just some random person. It doesn't matter because God calls each of us. And the question is whether we are willing to step out of our comfortable life and move and build his house. And, and if we want some modern-day context and relevant, I, I think that rebuilding the temple has to be about building or, or rebuilding the church. And you know, obviously, it's not about 
physical building because it's, it's built already, right? And it might, might not even be about like PPH per se, but I think it's about building the kingdom of God, right? Are we willing to get up, move out of our comfort zone for the sake of God's kingdom? Okay, and, and at this point, I, I hope you will allow me to share with you my own story of how God called me and has been calling me out of my comfort zone. Um, last week, we heard about how singing answered the call to go to Philippines, right? And he was, he really got up and he went, right? He went with uh, his wife and two young kids to Philippines. And, and, and my story is not really like very spectacular like that. But I think sometimes leaving our comfort zone for the sake of his kingdom doesn't have to be about moving to another, doesn't have to be about moving to another country and being a missionary, right? It can just be about simple daily decisions about the way we live our lives. So I want to share with you my, my, my little story, okay? I, I serve in the youth ministry, okay? And it's very fun and it's very rewarding and I really enjoy it. And if you want to experience that, you can come and join us and serve in the youth ministry too, okay? Some shameless advertising here for our ministry, okay? But, but um, back, back to the point, I, I, I did, uh, I did my, university's, my university overseas and when I came back to Singapore and I came back to this church, I decided I'm going to serve in the youth ministry, okay? And, and you know, while it's fun most of the time, um, there are a lot of things that I do or I have to do that, that are really, uh, you know, somewhat out of my comfort zone, okay? I remember the first youth camp that I attended as an adult, okay? And, and I, I dug up a picture to, to, to show you, okay? Um, I remember running, Okay, like, like I, okay, I was I was a CGL, you know, in charge of a new CG, you know, so need to like bond them and all that kind of stuff, right? And I remember running, like literally running around Sentosa, and we have to run because it's a competition, right? We must win. So, so you know, uh, we were running around Sentosa for some game. Okay, yeah, that that's when we stopped and rested. Thank goodness. Okay, um, and and I remember sleeping in some like not very nice place, you know, on the floor with like a bunch of kids. Okay. Uh, and a sleeping bag. And, and, and you must understand that I'm the kind of person that I like to like wear my high heels and sit at a cafe and drink a latte and talk about pretentious things. And, and you know, I don't want to like run around. I, I hate running, okay? Um, you know, much to the disappointment of my husband, uh, I have no interest whatsoever in this kind of like back to nature stuff and outdoor sport. I, I hate it, okay? The camping and hiking and all that. So like give me air conditioning anytime. But... But, but, you know, God called me to work with youths and, and, um, and, and sigh very often. That involves things like, you know, running around and playing in the mud or like running in Sentosa and Vivo and, 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 and all that kind of things. And, 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 but beyond just the activities, I think in general, um, the life that God has called me to is, is not uh, currently at, at this phase of my life. It, it's not really um, comfortable. Okay, I guess some of you would know that, that you know, last year our youth pastor left and, and I took over the ministry. And, and there's actually quite a lot of work um, involved in running the, the whole ministry. You know, when we plan events and programs and train the leaders and they're like administrative details and you take care of every service and you plan the retreat. When you're so tired, you have to plan a retreat. Come on, guys, let's rest. Okay. And, and you know, and, and I've already told you that I'm, I'm a teacher, right? Like, like Derek. Um, and it's a crazy job. You know, if, if you think that teachers like, just slack around and have holidays and work half days. You can talk to me or Derek. Where's Derek, right? I, you know, it's, it's not, okay? It's, it's like a crazy job. We will be happy to dispel that myth. And of course, I have um, a family to take care of, right? You know, my very handsome husband. It just, I don't know where he is. And, and, and my 10-month-old baby, okay? You know, I, I, yeah, so I take care of them as well. And, and so that's my not very 
comfortable life uh, in the sense that it's it, it's a busy life and actually it's 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 quite a crazy life okay um oh yeah there he is okay so <laughs> i i you know i have i have i have actually very very little free time and, and and sleep is really like a luxury and and sometimes i wonder what my life would be like if i had chosen like maybe a more comfortable route you know like maybe like don't surf so much in church you know don't don't, don't get so involved in church maybe i can watch more movies and and like and, and actually that's what somebody told me you know when i got pregnant last year he said um you know, now you're having a baby, eh? don't, don't get so involved in church. Eh? Go and do all the fun things that you want to do because once you have a baby, you have no more time to do all these things. So better hurry up and do your fun things. Don't, don't serve in church. But, but you know, it's, it's, it, it's not really a comfortable life. But, but, but I really believe that each of my roles that, that God has called me to, um, that He has called me to build His kingdom and to build His house. For example, I really believe that, that um, God has set my baby Gemma apart even before she was in the womb. And he's going to raise her up to be a godly woman whose life is sold out for Christ. And so my role as a mother in bringing her up is part of building his kingdom, right? And I believe that God has called me to be um, in the school where I am now uh, to, to really influence my students. You know, it's, 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 I mean, I don't know, you know, some of you are in school, you know, but, 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 you know, there's a culture where like cutting your, I teach in a girls' school and, and, you know, it's a culture where cutting yourself is, is common, and, and the girls constantly think that, you know, they're not good enough, they're not pretty enough, they're not smart enough, they're not popular enough, and, and, and one of my students actually told me, you know, Mrs. Chow, you're only cool if another girl has a crush on you, and so it's that kind of, like, really warped culture, and I believe that, that God has put me there to be a voice that says, hey, girls, it doesn't have to be this way, you know, so in my role as a teacher as well, I see myself as building his kingdom, and, and I believe really believe that God has called me to serve the youths in our church. And you know, I believe with all my heart, and please take me very seriously when I say this, that there are youths in our midst now who are going to grow up to be world changers. They are really going to grow up to have such a great sphere of influence in whatever industry that God has called them into, um, and they're going to just change their world for Jesus. I believe some of my youths are going to be teachers who are going to produce like classes and classes of students with godly values and godly perspectives. I believe some of my youths are going to grow up and be pastors and evangelists and church planters. You know, I believe some of my youths are going to lead worship and, and preach at great conferences and just spread the fragrance of Christ around. So I believe that all the stuff I do in the youth ministry builds His kingdom. And, and so when I think about all this and, and when God says, hey, are you willing to give up your comfortable life and build my kingdom? I say yes. Yes, I'm willing. Because God's going to do it anyway, you know. God's going to do it anyway, with or without me, with or without you. But I want to be a part of it. I want to respond to his call and I want to be counted among the faithful remnant. I want my name to be on that list, like in Ezra 2. And I think that is the true priority, you know priority. You know, today the, 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 the topic is like the, the one true priority in life. And I believe that that is the true priority to build the kingdom of God. I mean, of course, you know, we will say that, yes, the true priority in life is God. But, but what does that really mean when we say, uh, you know, our, our, our priority is God? I believe that if we really love Him and we seek Him and we desire to please Him, that our natural response would be to build His kingdom so that His name is glorified. So are you willing to get up and go? Are you willing to leave a comfortable life for the sake of His kingdom? You know, it may be a call to a harder life, a busier life, a life of, you know, maybe sometimes frustration and disappointment or discouragement. But are you willing for the sake of His kingdom? Are you willing to get up and go?
And my second question today is, are you willing to build the church? Okay, and I know it's kind of similar to, to the first question, but, but you know, we just talked about making the decision to get up and go and move, and, and also about building the kingdom of God like in, in a general sense. But now, I want to talk about building the house of God, specifically building the church, and specifically our church. Are you willing to build our church, PPH Brethren Church, okay? And, and you know, in the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Tes- Testament, sorry, I'm nervous. Okay, in the Old Testament, the temple represented um, the presence of God, right? The temple represented the presence of God, which is why people gathered at the temple and they, they built the temple and all that. But, you know, Jesus has come and the veil has been torn and, and all that, and we no longer need to gather around a physical building to be in God's presence. But I think that the church still represents God. You know, it's no longer about a physical place, but about the people. It's us, right? And as a people, we represent God. We, the church, we're very often a non-Christian's first impression of God, right? Because they, they look at the church and look at Christians. And, and I think that people must look at the church and they must see love and compassion and acceptance and, and community and more love. And, and they must look at us and see the presence of God. So we need to build the church. We need to build our church. And, and, and first, let's look at Ezra 2 and 3. Okay, let's, let's look at the, the, the text today. And, and I think that um, in here, there are a few things that we can learn about building, or in their case, rebuilding the church. Okay, and the, first thing, the first thing that we can learn, I think, from, from this passage is that the people gave freely. Okay, the people gave freely. Okay, in chapter 2, verse 68, we read that the first thing the returnees did when they arrived in Jerusalem was not to kind of settle down and, and build their houses first, but the first thing they did was actually to give free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God. And I believe when the Bible talks about free will offerings, he's talking about, you know, th- these are above and beyond uh, the, the normal tithes that people give. Okay, so free will offerings. Verse 69 says, according to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work, okay, the building fund, 61,000 drachmas of gold. And I've read that that is supposedly equivalent to 670 years of wages. Okay, they also gave 5,000 minas of silver. And apparently one mina is about five years of wages and 100 priestly garments. So basically they gave a lot, like a lot, super, super a lot of money. And they made this their priority. The first thing that they did when they arrived. And you know, sometimes people don't like to talk about money, right? Okay, prosperity gospel, okay? But you know, money gets us facilities and facilities facilitate kingdom work, right? <laughs> right, okay? So, so you know, and I, I, know, I, know, I know in PBH we are generally quite generous people, I think, okay? We're quite generous in, in, our, in our giving. But, but today I want to challenge you to, to not just give free will offerings of money, but to give free will offerings of your time and your effort, and your care, and your love, you know, whatever is necessary to facilitate the work of the kingdom. And let's give over and above the normal tithe, like the normal, you know, serving. Let's just give over and let's give like super a lot of our, I know it's ungrammatical, super a lot of our time and our love. You know, let's, let's like love and care for people super a lot. Let's just give like super a lot of effort into inviting people for more to life. You know, let's, let's, like, let's like really pray every day and let's, let's like give super a lot of our, our time and our effort into building the house of God. So the people gave freely. 
they gave freely. Okay, and the second thing I think we can learn is that the people were united. Okay, in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, When the seventh month came, and the seventh month is, is supposed to be one of the most sacred months of the Jewish year because they celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles and the other sacred feasts. Okay, the people, it says, verse 1, the people gathered, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. They assembled as one man. Okay, when they gathered in Jerusalem again, okay, this was, all, this was after they had settled in their own towns and all that. They came back to Jerusalem in the seventh month and they gathered as one man. And you know, this unity is very often the thing that breaks churches when there are quarrels and gossip and judgment and ill feeling and all that. You know, whenever there is that, we become like any other community in the world, right? We become like any other social club. But we need to build the church by loving each other. And, you know, by this, we'll all men know we are his disciples, right? John 13. We need to gather as one man and be united as we build the church. So we need to give freely and we need to be united as one man. And the third thing is that the people offered sacrifices. They sacrificed. Okay, before they built the temple, you will read in chapter 3 that they built an altar so that they could offer sacrifices to God. And verses 2 to 6 in chapter 3 talk about all the burnt offerings they, they sacrificed to God. And you know, in our modern context where we thankfully don't have to kill animals and deal with their blood, the sacrifice that we offer is, is our lives. Right? Romans 12 one says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So if we want to build the church, we need to offer God lives that are holy and pleasing. We need to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And so, you know, I think that as a church, it's not really about the songs that we sing or the programs that we have or, or, or whatever we do, but whether an altar is built and whether we are offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing? Is God being glorified in our lives? Is God being glorified in our programs? Is, is whatever we are doing pointing towards God? Are we offering a living sacrifice? And finally, and this is one of my favorite ones, the last thing about the people is that they were bold and courageous. Okay, in chapter 3, verse 3, it says, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar and they sacrificed burnt offerings. You know, the people had returned, the, the, the Jews had returned to Jerusalem. But to everyone else in the surrounding nations, they were actually like the newcomers, you know, the new kids on the block, right? Um, they're newcomers to the scene because, because previously nobody was there, right? Or, or, you know, maybe other people were there. And so the people around them were probably suspicious. Hey, what are this group of 42,000 people suddenly coming here? And they're like building something and offering sacrifices, Right? And, and, and in fact, later on in chapter 4, we will see that they actually, um, there was actually opposition to the building of the temple. They, they tried to discourage the Jews and they opposed the rebuilding work. But despite their fear of the people around them, the faithful remnant, they just worshipped God anyway. You know, they offered both the morning and the evening sacrifices in verse 5. They presented all the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed feasts of the Lord, as well as those brought as free will offerings. They did the whole works, right? They just worshipped anyway, despite their fear. And, and I think that if we want to build the church, we need to be bold and courageous and not fear the people around us, not fear what other people think of us, not fear the, the, the world. We need to act boldly and in faith. 
that's how we're going to build the church. And so these are the four things that um, I think we can learn from this passage. And you know, they did all this even before they started building the temple, right? They gave freely. They were united as one man. They sacrificed. They offered sacrifices and they were bold and courageous. And then in verse 8 and verse 9, they just did it, okay? They came together and started building the house of God. And now I want us to think about our own church, okay, about PPH. Are you willing, are you willing to build the church? You know, recently we celebrated our anniversary, right, 3130. And I don't know if you all read the history of the church in the 3130 booklet, or, or maybe you just looked at the old photos, the funny old photos. But, but, you know, I think that our church's history is pretty awesome if you've read it, okay? You know, we just read that in Ezra that the people basically gave like super a lot of money, right, to the building fund. And you know, in the same way, more than 30 years ago, the members of PPH gave sacrificially to raise money for this very building that we are in now. Okay, and, 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 I, and I cut out an excerpt um, from the booklet. Okay, I want to show it to you right now. Next slide, please. Okay. Um, it says, at $900,000, the young... Uh, and, and that's the cost of, of building this, this building, right? The young and inexperienced congregation, average age 22, that is the age of my little sister who literally just graduated a few years ago, okay? Very young. They were faced with the daunting task of raising a sum unheard of in their lifetime. Members and church friends gave sacrificially. They put together interest-free loans. The elderly Puranakan Assembly contributed from their savings. The church prayed and fasted. And together with several fundraising projects, the building work could begin to take shape. So the people, like PPH people, they gave freely, right? And I believe they were united. They sacrificed. They gave sacrificially. And they were bold and courageous in undertaking to build this physical church building that, that we are here now. And if you read the, the whole history of, of, of our church, you know, there are, there are so many exciting things and milestones, right? I read that in the 70s, there was like a huge increase of numbers in the house churches. In the 80s, we sent out missionaries. We started our boys' brigade work. We started our kindergarten work. And in the 90s, we sent out even more missionaries. Um, we established care channels, um, the, the, the missions organization. We started the Alpha course. In the 2000s, we started CSE, right? Some of us went capping last night. Um, and so there was outreach at Taban Gardens. We started our Chinese service. And, and last year, we even started a Telugu service. And these are just a few things, you know, I'm not even mentioning everything. So, so our history, guys, is pretty awesome. Okay, go read a book, okay? If, if, if you haven't, go read a book, okay? And, and, you know, here's the thing, you know, when, when I read all this, here's the thought that came to me. What's going to be written about our church in the next few years? What's going to be written about the 2020s, the 2030s? And you know what? I'm, I'm speaking here in the second service, and many of you here are around my age, if I flatter myself, or maybe somewhat younger than me. And guess what, guys? It's our turn. It's our turn to write and fill the pages of our church's history. And obviously, I'm not just talking to the younger people. You know, um, um, as long as we're alive, of course, it's our turn to fill those pages of history. But, you know, for some of us who are, who are younger, maybe, maybe we haven't really done much, right, to contribute to, to the building of, of this church. And, and so, 
Are we willing? Are we willing to build the church just like the older people have done when they gave sacrificially to build this building? What's going to happen in 10 years' time, in 20 years' time? And I like to tell, um, I like to tell people that our youths are the future of our church. And they are. You are. We are young people. You know, I, I'm still young. Okay, I just turned 30 recently. But, you know, according to Singapore's life expectancy, I still have at least 50 more years to serve God. Yay! Okay, so what's going to be written in the next few pages of our church's history? Is it that we attended church? Is it that we attended CG? Is it that we helped out in various things here and there when people press us hard enough to invite our friends or, you know, if it happens to fit into our schedules? No, we need to build the church, guys. We need to build the church. We need to give all we can. We need to give freely. We need to be united. We need to give sacrificially. We need to be bold and courageous and build the church. We need to get out of our comfort zone and our comfortable lives and build the church. We need to build the kingdom of God. Are we willing to do that? And, you know, I once heard this analogy that, that some people think church is like a buffet, okay, that you pick and choose what you like. And, and probably that's why we have some people who are like church hoppers, right? You know, the, the spread here is not too good today. You can go to another church, you know. Or, or you can just take your pick every week, you know. Some weeks you feel like seafood buffet. Some weeks you feel like dessert buffet. So maybe some week you feel like, oh, I really want some slick and, and vibrant worship, you know. So I go to a, a particular church. Or, or like another week, I, oh, I think I want some solid, heavy-duty preaching. So I go to, to, to this church instead of that church. And, and, but church is not a buffet, okay. It should, it's not a buffet. And so I was thinking, what, what, what should it be if it's not a buffet? So I think maybe it should be more like a potluck. Right? Like, you know, everybody brings what you want to see to the table and everybody is responsible for creating the meal. That you are not just a consumer. You're not just a viewer. You're not just a receiver. You're not just an attender in church. You know, are you willing to build the church? Are you willing to give freely? Are you willing to stand together as one man to offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing? Are you willing to be bold and courageous for God as a church? Are we willing to build the church? And the third and final question today that I have is, are you willing to be noisy? Okay, my ministry is called Loud Gen. Huh. Okay, in the last part of Ezra chapter 3, okay, if we look at the, just the last part of Ezra chapter 3, the foundation of the temple was finally laid. Okay, they, they finally laid the, finished doing the foundation. And when that happened, there was great celebration in the house. Okay, we can see in verses 10 and 11, okay, there was trumpets and there were cymbals. There was a song of thanksgiving. There was a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But in verse 12, if we look at verse 12 now, we read that in the midst of these celebrations, however, many of the older people were weeping aloud. And when I first read that, I wondered, because, you know, I am disrespectful and horrible, whether they were crying because they were old and, like, maybe party poopers, you know. Everybody's celebrating, you're crying there. But, but actually, the reason for their weeping is, is there, okay? It's there. It was because they had seen the former temple. And perhaps they saw the glory of the former temple and they wept that what they see now is just a foundation, right? It's probably just like, I, I don't know what a foundation of the building looks like. It's probably just a 
slabs of concrete or something like that. Okay? And there's like such a long way more to go. It's going to take so much more time and effort. And probably there will be setbacks in the building process. And, and, and perhaps they wept because they felt, God, you deserve so much more than this foundation. You know, I've seen the former glory of, the, of your temple and now it's just the foundation and people are celebrating. And I, I want to suggest today that although there were both shouts of joy as well as crying, that the joy and the celebration and the weeping were not in discord because they were both unto the Lord, right? It was not like um, they were fighting or angry with each other, but they were both unto the Lord. Some of the people, they looked at the foundation and they rejoiced because they saw the things that God was going to do. They saw with eyes of faith that they had come out of exile and they were going to rebuild the temple and the work had started. There's the foundation and they were excited and so they celebrated. And they were praising God for what has been accomplished and all that He has done so far from them and they were looking forward in faith. Yet, yet some of the people, they wept because they had seen the former temple, and this foundation was just not enough to glorify God because God, you deserve so much more. And I think that perhaps as a church, we need a bit of both of these kind of emotions. And we need to look at what God has done for us and be thankful and joyful and look forward in faith and say, yes, God, we thank you for this. You know, you're, you're, you, you are good and your love to, to us endures forever. But perhaps we also need to have an attitude that says, God, this is not enough. That when I look at the, the congregation here, this is not enough. Because there are so many more seats that could be filled with people who could be glorifying God and praising God in this place. That when we look at this work, we say, God, it's not enough because you deserve so much more. You deserve so much more glory. You deserve so much more. And verse 13 says, No one could distinguish between them because... There was just so much noise. There was joyous shouting and there was weeping. And, but from the outside, if you're looking in, people would just see that it's noisy. Right? There's just a lot of noise. They just heard that there's something going on in that place and there's something happening there. And it's, there, there's a lot of noise there. And the chapter ends, and, and I really love this part because the chapter ends by saying, and the sound was heard far away. The sound was heard far away. Is our sound heard far away? Do people on the outside hear our sound? Or do they not notice us at all? And this is the last question. Are you willing to be noisy? And it's for us as a church. Are we willing to make this kind of noise? Noise that cries out to God. Both joyous noise that says, God, you've done so much and your love endures forever. But also mixed with that noise that says, God, you deserve so much more. There must be more than this. And we believe for greater and we believe for more. And are we willing to make this kind of noise such that people who hear us shouting the name of Jesus will take note and say, hey, there's something going on in that church. Are we willing to make this kind of noise unto the Lord such that the noise, the sound will be heard far away in Teban Gardens, in Batam, in China, in the Philippines, in our workplace, in our schools? Are we willing to be noisy like that as we both praise Him and we ask for more? I'm going to end soon as I get the musicians to come on stage again. And you know, actually, if you've been, been paying attention for the past like 30 minutes or so, you'll realize that in this whole sermon, 
I only have pretty much one point. And that is, guys, let's build the church. Let's build the church today. What is the one true priority in life? I believe it's to build the kingdom of God. And I believe that today it's a message of challenge. And we need to ask ourselves, are we willing? Are we willing to respond to God's call? Are we willing to get up and go, leave our comfortable lives behind in order to build the kingdom? Are we willing to put our hands to the plow and build the church, write the next pages, next few pages of the church's history? Are we willing to be a church that is noisy enough in our praises, you know, in, in, in our praises and in our desiring more for God that our sound can be heard far, far away? Are we willing? Are you willing today? And you know, it's, it's, it's not an issue of, of salvation, right? Because we we're all saved by grace and nothing else is required. But I believe that we are not just saved for our own happiness. Like, you know, yay, I'll go to heaven after I die, so I'm saved. But we are saved so that we can spend the rest of our lives just glorifying God and building His temple and, and building His kingdom so that we give Him as much glory as possible. And I, and, I, and I believe that that's why the people in the Old Testament put so much into building the temple because it gave God glory. It showed off the greatness and the glory of God to the nations around. And that's the same reason why we need to build His church and build His house today. To give Him the glory, to give Him as much glory as possible. And, and the question today is, are you willing? Are you willing to step out of your comfortable lives and just build His kingdom? Are you willing to, to get your hands dirty, you know, to, to really build? I'm sure building is not nice work that I would enjoy, right? You know, I'm, I'm probably like hot and it's tiring and all that. Are you willing to build? And, and today, I just want to give you a chance to respond as we, as we move into a time of worship that if God is stirring something in your heart today, that if He's stirring a heart for his house. And if you want to say, yes, God, I'm willing. I want to build your kingdom. I want to build your church. I want to invite you to come forward to the altar as a symbol of your commitment. If you're saying, God, I want to be counted among the faithful. I want to build for your glory. I want it to be, you know, in my life to be like Psalm 69 when the psalmist says, zeal for your house consumes me. And if that's you and you're willing today, I want to invite you to come up and, and, and let's just make this symbol of commitment together, that together as one man, we will build his house, we will build his kingdom. So we're just going to go into a time of worship and I will just leave the altar open. invite us to stand up. And as we worship, you know, if God is stirring something in your heart today, I want to encourage you to respond to Yeah. 